I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. In today's episode, we talk about media and how we are to consume or not consume it as Catholics. really indecisive yeah yeah i did but now i'm not so sure <laughs> that one be is for my husband <laughs> because i am indecisive are you welcome to episode 26 um it's good to be with all of you hello uh who do you want to go first george and jesus why don't you go first i'll go first my joy um this i feel like all my joys are gonna be my daughter yeah. if, if i don't like screen them. So even though she's awesome, I'm going to pick something else. Um, so actually, this is really kind of silly, but I got this hoodie. It's called a hero hoodie and it converts into a, uh, a strawstring backpack. What? Yeah. It's like built into the inside of the hoodie. And so I feel every time I'm wearing it, I feel like I'm doing a magic trick and I love magic. So it's really cool. I have to show it is to you. Is this the one color. that you traveled with? No, that's oh. a different one. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You I love like Swiss Army Inspector Gadget type gosh. gear. So um, that's my joy. It's just <laughs> that I've been, I've, I've played with it more than I've worn it. So um, my junk, I had a really like unfortunate experience at my church this week and um, nothing scandalous or anything like that. It was just like something that was personal that wasn't handled with very much compassion and so now I'm just kind of dealing with not feeling like me or my family are very welcome um so that's just great (laughs) and um but I also this week kicked off um confirmation for at least our returning um teens who are finishing um the program this will be their second year and just getting to see all of them and, and have some excitement in the room and some really good feedback from parents and like um, really appropriate, like, um, or not appropriate, it's not the right word, really um, positive, that's the word, positive um, experience um, <laughs> that they were just, you know, saying about how it's been going for them and their family, so that's been great. That's awesome. Yeah, what about you? Um, my joy, I'm talking about my daughter, because I'm not going to not talk about her. <laughs> um, my joy... Way to make me feel like a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> my joy is that my teens... Um, I've gotten to meet her, and yesterday was really sweet. They sat in my office for probably like 20 minutes just staring at her, and she (laughs) literally was doing nothing, and it was amazing. Um, So that's my joy. My junk is that now that I'm back to work and I have a baby, um, I am so exhausted. (laughs) Like, I thought I was exhausted before, Mm -hmm. but now I'm even more mentally and physically exhausted. So juggling that schedule is really hard, and just trying to find time for myself um, is really necessary and I'm not finding it. So that's my junk. My Jesus is that I listened to Phil Wickham's new album, um, yesterday and I don't even remember what song it was, but I was just listening to it and God was really speaking through my car drive because that's the only time I had with him yesterday (laughs) (laughs) and it was really beautiful and good. And he just kind of spoke to me and told me like, basically my junk that I need, I need to take time. I need to um, really invest in myself spiritually, and so I'm seeking out a spiritual director. So Ooh. that is soon to come. We shall see. There are two really good ones at St. Tim's, female ones. Good to know. Yeah, 
Okay. See, Jesus. And for Thank all you. of you out there, um, <laughs> if you're nearby. Yeah. <laughs> so today, on our 26th episode, we are talking about social media. Social and media in general. Yeah, media in general. Like really. news, and that's been really poopy. And uh, newspapers. And yeah. Does anybody really get newspapers? Periodicals. Journals? Periodical journals? Us Weekly? No. <laughs> yeah, so media in general, you know, and how, how we as Catholics are called to or encouraged to participate in media, consume it, not consume it, and there's a lot of different opinions and approaches to this, and so we're going to go through kind of three main approaches to yep. how you consume media and how it might be, how each one might be beneficial or detrimental to how we're... Uh, trying to to live in this world, but not become of this world and obsessed with the things of this world. Mm-hmm. So, Matt, what are the three kind of umbrellas that we are talking about? Yeah. Today? So the three approaches, and this is not just to media, but this is to um, like pretty much anything that um, you might be involved in. You can you can think about these three approaches, um, and those are withdraw, conform, or seek to change. So withdraw meaning you completely remove yourself from the situation or the thing itself, which today obviously we're talking about media. Conform means you kind of completely dive into it um, and and allow that to become like a big part of your life or who you are. And then seek to change is kind of a, almost a combination of both where you're not, you're not necessarily withdrawing, but you're withdrawing from um, completely consuming it but using it maybe as a tool or trying to bring about change within that situation or that thing that you are thinking about. Um, and so it sounds at a cursory glance like seek to change is like, boom, that's the answer because we're Catholic and we're always trying to transform everything. But they're actually good and bad sides to all three of these. And so we're going to talk about all of them uh, today. So when it comes to media, how might we think about withdrawing. Why would we want to withdraw? I mean, there's been a lot of junky stuff in the media, especially with the church lately, with the scandals. And um, so for me, myself, like I don't uh, watch the news. I don't um, consume any media in that regard. I don't read the newspaper. I don't do anything like that. Some people might think that's irresponsible of me. But anything major that's going on in the world, I'm friends with and, and follow a lot of different Catholic media outlets on Facebook. And Facebook kind of becomes my my condensed newspaper mm-hmm. that I look at every now and then mm-hmm. um, when I have some time, you know, maybe over a cup of coffee and am not distracted or, you know, not enter- entering in or focusing on what I need to be doing. When I have that chance to maybe take a glance at what's going on. Um, and so, and it helps me get a Catholic lens of whatever's happening. And so, for instance, like the scandals that have happened in the church, I've had a lot of good information about them and a lot of good approaches to how to talk about and deal with those scandals in conversations because everything I've been reading is accurate information from Catholic media outlets and I'm not consuming stuff like what does CNN have to say about this yeah. you know nothing against CNN in particular but you know because I don't know what any of them say because I don't watch them but um, so but it might be a time in in your life now or at some point when you see all this terrible stuff going on in the world or even in the church and you just kind of want to run away you know, and so this withdrawal idea, it, it's kind of linked to the monastic system of St. Benedict where he decided um, or created this model for people who want to live in, um, in solitude to have a rule of life and create this system of monasteries where people can kind of be withdrawn from society and focus completely on God. So obviously that's not bad intentioned, um, but there are also bad things associated with that. So we'll get into that a little bit. 
But Jenna, what are some, some reasons why we would withdraw or some ways in which we could withdraw? Well, when I was 11 years old, <laughs> the reason I, I withdrew from AOL was because somebody broke up with me over it. On AOL Instant Messenger? I asked my first girlfriend out on AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> and then I got to school the next day and I was like, was that really my, was that really the girl that I was talking to? I was really panicking. Oh my gosh! Because, because I was like, had, like, it could be anybody. Handles. Yeah. You, yeah. I mean, it, you know, who knows if like Fruit Cup 972 was, you yeah. know, Amanda. It was. And we had, <laughs> we had a whirlwind one week relationship where I probably saw her for a grand total of five hours that whole week. It was, oh you know, you know, oh. middle school. Oh, AOL. The time to dream. Anyways. Yes. Anyways, <laughs> I had to share. Um, no, there's so many different reasons why social media and media in general is just <laughs> really not good for us. There are positives to it, like we said. But um, people are now saying that, like, health experts are now saying that um, sitting is the new smoking. Mm. So, basically, that we are consuming so much media, whether it's social media, we're on the internet, we're on the news, we're watching TV, whatever it is, that that is the new smoking. Like, it's so detrimental to our health because mm. we're not getting up and we're not moving. And we see this with the younger generation. They're um, Whether they're at a restaurant and they're like have an iPad in front of them, yeah. or um, we don't see them on our streets anymore playing. Like, I went over to my parents' house, and my street has always been the kid zone street. Like, mm-hmm. you've always seen those yellow little caution signs with, like, the kids running. Yeah. Um, on my street forever, because I've lived there my entire life until I moved out. And now, there's, like, no kids outside. Mm. Over the summer, there were maybe, like, five out of the probably like 30 that mm-hmm. live on my street um we're just not we're not going outside anymore we're not really participating yeah um in a lot of social activities but a lot of things factor into social media now and, and media um cyberbullying depression is huge um they have very obviously large effects on people um, we have a habit of checking on our phones every like 15 minutes mm-hmm. or we have that phantom vibrate now do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, <laughs> you your phone's like, not even in your pocket, and you're like, what is it, you know? Is it, it's me? Or, yeah. yeah, I do that when I'm watching or um, wearing my iWatch. Yeah. When I stop wearing it, I feel my wrist vibrate. Yeah. Well, oh, it's, I don't have anything on. Um, and it's interesting you say um, that, because, like, people who study social media say that the effect of getting a like or a comment on a post in the brain is the same as a, a high from a drug, yes. and it can become just as addictive. Mm-hmm. And... You know, we have those like phantom vibrates. I'm like, oh, I thought my phone was in my pocket. But if you think about like if someone was on drugs and they tried to withdraw, they would have the same type of experience. Their body would try and remember or ache for the experience of being on drugs. And that those phantom vibrates, those are our addictive behaviors, almost our drug addicted behaviors to our phones affecting us in a type of withdrawal. And then we immediately are like, where's my phone? Mm -hmm. Every time you get a like, every time you get... um a text message, whatever it is, you get a release of dopamine in your brain, Mm -hmm. and that's the feel-good drug. And so, your body is That's why it's called dopamine. (laughs) Dope, I mean. (laughs) I mean, right? Oh, gosh. They're actually calling, um, there's something called Facebook addiction disorder now, where, um, it meets the criteria. I hope, no, it's not. No, Facebook, F-A-D. Well, it... Oh my god! <laughs> I'm just right with bad about? jokes today. No, <laughs> it's um, it meets the addiction criteria. Basically, 
that you're neglecting your personal life, you have mental preoccupation, um, escapism, mood modification experience, experiences, tolerance in counseling, the addictive behavior. Um, you appear to be present in some people who use it exclusively. Yeah. No, it appears. Sorry, I read that wrong. But anyways, so it like meets the addiction criteria, which yeah. is so bad. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at everything that you do on a given day um, and things that you choose to do, not things you have to do like work or school or anything like that or responsibilities to your family, but let's say like, you know, Netflix or Hulu, Amazon Prime, coffee, uh, your phone, uh, something like that. And if you lay all those in front of you and then you ask yourself, can I do without any of these for a whole day? And if you start to have that like internal panic when you look at any one of those things, that's a common sign that like, psychologists and addiction experts will use to determine if you're addicted to something. If you cannot go without it for an entire day, just a day. Let's not alone like a week or something like if this thing disappeared, would your life end, you know? Right. But if you can't go without your phone, you know, if you accidentally leave it at home for a whole day, if you don't have alternatives or those, you know, me- numbers that you need memorized, like at least to your family. Oh, man. You know, I, we used to do that Those all numbers, the time. Yeah. Like I, I still remember some of my friends' phone numbers yeah, for their same. houses in high school because that was what you had. You didn't have contacts in your mm-hmm. phone. Um but if, if that's something that's a reality for you, like, can you go 24 hours without even touching or looking at your phone? And if the answer is no, you're addicted to your phone. Yeah. You know, it's become so such a part of you that, and I'm speaking this to me too, like I would struggle with that, you yeah. know, because I'm so accustomed to how efficient it makes my life. But I would survive without it, you know. And, and if, if that brings about a lot of panic or anxiety for you, I mean, if it's like, oh, that would suck, but I can I can do that then that's not as bad as like, oh, no way. You know, like, I don't know how I would live. That Then you're addicted to your phone. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you have to really think about and think about how you might want to withdraw from certain apps or, or media in general. Can we just backtrack for a second? Yeah. Can we just take coffee off the table of that scenario? <laughs> because I panicked. <laughs> and um, I feel like that's a necessity for life. You know? So... Um, I don't drink coffee, so... Yeah, well... But if you were to say iced tea, I would just completely collapse and fall out immediately. <laughs> so, with any kind of media, um, we get caught in this delusion of thinking that it will help. So, whether that is consuming um, the news media, thinking that I have to know what is going on in the world because it's going to help me somehow. Yeah. Or I can help somehow. Um, or it's being on your phone and being on Instagram and thinking, well... I just, I want to be connected with the people that I know. Or on Facebook, and I want to be connected. And we're in this constant delusion that this is going to help my life, and this is going to benefit me. Um, To an extent, yes. But when it is becoming the only thing that you rely on for contact with people, Mm -hmm. or um, I don't even know what else you would do. I mean, like, like, you shouldn't rely on any of it, really. Yeah. So... You're all delusional. Yeah, I know. But I mean, like, (laughs) think about, like, okay, if I didn't have my phone, how would I connect with my friends, with my family, intentionally? And think about, be creative in some of those ways. Like, what would I legitimately do? And if you're old enough to remember life without, you know, your phone, then it's going to be easier to come up with some of those ideas, and maybe it'll be a little more accustomed to, to you to be able to do that. But if you've always grown up with a phone and technology around you, it might be really hard to think of some things, but I encourage you to maybe ask you know, your parents or other people, you know, how might I, how did you do this without a phone? You know, how do you do this without a phone or without this Mm -hmm. piece of technology? Mm -hmm. Um, And try and incorporate some of those things into your life, you know, writing letters, 
um, actually calling landlines, actually going and visiting people, being face-to-face, having a conversation. Um, we can't lose that as a culture, and it's becoming so commonplace to, you know, on my way here, I ordered Starbucks on my phone without having to talk to a single person. I know we've you know, talked about this. Yeah. We've we talked about this. DoorDash, Grubhub, yeah. Uber Eats, like all these things where like I have, technology has allowed for us to become a culture of people who sit. Mm-hmm. Who sit and not even just sit, but sit and completely disengage with other people. Yeah. And that's really unhealthy and really dangerous and really detrimental to our interpersonal skills and our ability to communicate properly. Yeah. And that is going to really affect our ability to get a good job, um, you know, communicate well in the professional workplace, have successful, happy, thriving lives and relationships. And we don't realize that maybe in the moment when we're on our phone, but we have to start recognizing that this is part of the problem. I think the average adult looks at their phone, just their phone, uh, on an average of three hours per day. And a teenager, I think, is four hours. And then that's not on, that's on top of computer screen, TV, you know, your iPad, you know, all those different other means of consumption, not just technology, but also just like paper media. If you still read the newspaper or magazines or listen to the radio or music in the car, like we're consuming media. That's all media. Um, And so recognize like that is something that, you know, is always going on. And there's, when was the last time you were in a store or a mall or a coffee shop and there wasn't music playing? Oh yeah. You know, like that is a consumption of media. Like we just have this idea that there always has to be media noise Mm -hmm. in our life. Mm -hmm. And if there's not, you know, last night I had a parent meeting and I was like, no, I'm just not going to play a song while these parents are filling out this little survey for me. And it was like five minutes and I was like recognizing like, wow, it is really quiet in here. And it was nice because I appreciate that type of quiet. Like I don't really listen to anything in the car um, typically anymore, but like part of me was like whoa like I think I sensed the discomfort of other people in the room yeah you know because for me if I was alone in that room and it was totally quiet I would have been fine but I sensed that there was like this kind of like shifting like what's going on type Mm -hmm. like there's Mm -hmm. no noise you know Mm -hmm. and that that's something that we really need to recognize and try and see if we can withdraw from we've been really intentional this summer I haven't been here but (laughs) with our um teens of like what kind of sound and what kind of noise we've mm-hmm. been using with them and so for prayer they have been in silence they haven't been really doing i mean they've been doing worship at the beginning but their ending prayer has always been in silence mm-hmm. um and that is so hard for especially for teenagers to do yeah. because they don't know what silence is and they don't know what to do in silence um going back a little bit to what you were saying about how media consumption and um how we also are like using apps to order food and order coffee mm-hmm. and, and all this and how it's making us not really social pe- people anymore. Um, an interesting study, I guess, I don't really know what study it is, but I heard it, um, is that people are young adults, I guess. I don't know what age it was, but they're not really having a lot of sexual encounters anymore. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? This was from trending. Yeah. Um, but it's because pornography is so accessible and easy to use mm-hmm. that we no longer need to um, encounter somebody else to get them to use their bodies anymore. Yeah. We can just use pornography. And so people are literally retracting completely yeah. from the human experience just to just the screen experience. Yeah. Um, and that is what our society is becoming is just using a screen for everything. Yeah. I mean, that's the benefit of this approach to withdrawing is recognizing like as a culture, we can't undo all of the the 
communal living and interdependence and like responsibility to one another and to society that technology is trying to unravel, Mm -hmm. you know, or that not technology isn't this like, you know, the man out there trying to unravel it, but like metaphorically speaking, like technology has the opportunity, our use of it has the opportunity to unravel and completely destroy those skills that we've developed over generations of, you know, being able to to do that. There's a comedian who talks about, um, you know, our neighbors and like generations ago, mm-hmm. someone knocked on your door, you'd be like, who is it? It's one, probably one of the neighbors. And you'd go like open the door. Now if someone knocks on your door, you're like, okay, everybody hide, turn yeah. off the lights. Who, is who, is, who could that be? Yeah. Like no one knocks on our door. We're not expecting a package from two day shipping from Amazon. You know, like yeah. it's, it's become, we've become such a secluded culture yeah. because of stuff like this. And it's something we really have to recognize and fight against. I, I used to have a neighbor that would, he was little, obviously, but he would just walk in our house. Sorry. Yeah. Just like a memory. He would just like walk in our house. Like, we're yeah. neighbors. Like, I'm going to come in and hang out. We didn't really like that. So we would lock <laughs> our door. But <laughs> we had, we did, we had a, a neighborhood that we would come and like go and knock on each other's doors and be so yeah. excited when there was a knock on the yeah. door. Now I did that the other day. Somebody knocked on my door and I freaked out. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm not dressed. I'm not, I can't go to the door. Like, yeah. I'm not expecting any package. Yeah. Who is it? I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like if you remember old sitcoms like Full House, like they had Kimmy, like the girl who was always, she'd just walk right in yeah, and everyone yeah, was yeah. like, what are you doing here? But that was more commonplace. Like yeah. my neighbor friends in my neighborhood, they'd come right in. My high school friends, like they just opened the door to our house, you know, because yeah. that was just what culture was like, especially in the area I grew up in, a smaller town. But also just gener- like, you know, now looking almost to a full generation ago. Um, wow. Um, that's, you know, it was a lot more commonplace. And now with the advent of the smartphone and all the technological advances that we have, a lot of which are good and very helpful and can help things become more convenient, especially for, you know, busy parents and families and things that can, you know, allow us to spend more intentional time with each other. But I think instead we use them out of convenience and then we dive further into other forms of media because we have that free time instead of using it as a tool to be intentionally involved with other people. And so as a result, media can make us feel really, really lonely. And we've talked about this a lot before, mm-hmm. how like you can have thousands of friends on social media and still feel like the loneliest person in the world. And the benefit of withdrawing is that you would think that like, okay, if I withdraw, I'm going to feel lonelier. But no, like there's something to be said, we've talked about this before as well, of healthy solitude, of being alone with your thoughts to decompress to relax, to recharge, um, to do something. We've lost the art of leisure and recreation time. Mm-hmm. You know, having hobbies, mm-hmm. going for a walk, clearing your head. Um, you know, and I'm talking about like not while listening to music. You know, not like okay, I have some time, so I'm going to go work out because I really want to have this super toned body, so I can then post pictures on Instagram of me in a bathing suit. You know, I don't. That's right. not you know that's not the intention here. It's about having healthy time for you to recharge and be without a screen sounds and just be with God or be in silence or read a book or like something where you can really just be refreshed in that way. Something that's enjoyable that doesn't take a whole lot of mental capacity. We don't realize also the effect this has on our eyes. You know, like if you look at your phone within an hour of sleep, it's going to be harder for you to enter into that deep sleep, that REM cycle of sleep that you need to be, be totally recharged. And for teenagers, like teenagers need... Um, normally about nine hours of good sleep. 
teenagers. Based on their age and their development and like what their body needs because their body's still growing. And yeah, I don't know a single teen in the culture that we live in who is able to get that. A, based on busyness and workload, but also B, because they're, they're for the most part, always consuming media Mm -hmm. all day. Mm -hmm. Seven to eight hours of media, you know, like four of which is on their phone. But apart from that, like screens and other stuff all day, like that's a full-time job. Yeah. Like that's, that's obviously going to affect who we are and what we do. There's so many of my teens that have said, oh yeah, I went to bed at three o'clock and I'm like, okay, why? Well, I did homework till this time and then I just couldn't fall asleep. But most of them have laptops that they're doing their homework on or they're on their phone and they're going on Instagram or whatever. um, And they have a hard time going to sleep and then they're exhausted and then they're in my office crying their eyes out because they're stressed, whatever. So they're not, (laughs) they're not getting enough sleep. So obviously there's a benefit to withdraw. <laughs> there is yes, a benefit. Yes. And so that's the good part of it, the healthy solitude. The bad side of, of withdrawing is that you can get to a point where you don't engage with the world mm-hmm. and you don't engage with issues that matter and we abandon our responsibility to others and to the church. And so like if we were totally withdrawn from media and the scandal that's been happening happened, we would be irresponsible as people who are part of the church because there'd be nothing that we were bringing a voice of clarity and comfort and solidarity to and a need for change within our church. Mm-hmm. Um, we would just be abandoning that responsibility and rege- um, relegating it to um, you know, the clergy or the hierarchy, which in this instance are part of the problem. And so like recognizing like we have a responsibility to, to consume and be involved in those things. It's just part of life now. It's yeah. part of our culture. So we have to recognize we have a responsibility to that uh, in some sense. But we need to really be careful about gauging how much we do. Yeah. So as much as I don't watch news or consume media as best I can, I still have a way of keeping to. up on what's going on in the world, having that responsibility, and then finding ways that I can connect with people mm-hmm. Um easily on social media and use it as use technology as a means for convenience and efficiency so that that free time that's then freed up is not then diving into more media but it's being spent in intentional conversations with family encountering people one-on-one you know not being in a hurry um and so that's uh, the benefit so um in exodus god says i am the lord your god who brought you out of the land of egypt out of the house of slavery you shall have no other gods before me so that importance of retreating Mm -hmm. making sure that we kind of escape from everything have that time like you said no music no nothing and just being with god um recharging resetting and recognizing and kind of maybe taking a list of like um where am I consuming too much? What am I making my God? Is it my social media? Is it the news? Is it this? Whatever. Um, recognizing that we need to return and point ourselves back to Christ and to the Lord. Lord. Um, and then entering back in, like you said, and coming yeah. back in and consuming positively and consuming um, properly in the way that we should be. Yeah, and that's an important designation because I think there might be some of you out there who you consume a lot of good media. Yeah. You know, you, but maybe you always are listening to praise and worship music. You listen to a lot of good Catholic podcasts, like Man of Food for Thought, that you should share with your hey. friends. Um, you, you know, you're consuming all the right stuff, but it's still a lot, you know? And you might be hearing this thinking, okay, like, I'm, I don't think I'm doing anything sinful. Like, I'm, I use all the media and stuff that I use for good. And there's a difference between something being a sin and something being an idol. You know, idolatry in itself is a sin, but like recognizing like an an idol is something that, at least in our modern culture, 
is something, unless you're worshiping like pagan idols or pagan gods, which isn't really commonplace anymore, but some people do that. But in terms of like how idolatry works today, for the most part, most things that people idolize are good things. Mm -hmm. Like um, money. Money is not bad. It's how we use it and how we chase after it. Um, You know, relationships. Relationships aren't bad. In fact, we're made for a relationship. But if you idolize it, it can be very unhealthy. Things like that. So idolatry is about things that could be good or healthy, but they're in an improper order. So if they're our first priority and we're, we're pursuing that with everything that we are, like recklessly, and God is not above that and we don't see God in that, that's when it can become very unhealthy. And so you may be making a idol of media. You may be making an idol of media, even if you're consuming it in a good way, if it's having a detrimental effect on how you're able to enter into relationship with others and with God apart from it. If you can't enter into prayer or relationship with God without noise or a piece of media or a podcast or an app, then this might be this might be like something that you are idolizing, um, because you are treating it like your one and only avenue toward worship or toward God, and it makes a god of that thing itself. Uh, and so that's just something also to be aware of a little distinction. To say like, well, I don't feel like I'm doing anything wrong, and you may not be. You may be having like a good idea of how to use media, but it may be that it's in an improper order or influence in your life and God has not become that first God is not that first priority. Something else has become that first priority. So should we talk about apps to reduce? Yes. Okay. So there's a cup there's three that I found that are really cool. Um, different apps that you can use to kind of reduce your phone use. So that if you have this issue, come on. Um, There's also this nifty thing on your phone called the off button. (gasps) Yeah. How often do you turn off your phone? I never turn my phone off. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Never turn my phone off. Okay. So (laughs) airplane mode. Yeah. Charge your phone in the kitchen at nighttime. Those are too much. Okay. We need apps. I need more things on my phone so that I can use my phone less. Yes. I see but the flaw. There are in really my good apps thought. that Jenna is about to share with you. Anyways, Matt, um, <laughs> there's three. There's one called Space. There's one called Mute, and there's one called Moment. So Space it helps you to set goals for your phone use so that you can kind of monitor your behavior and track your progress. Um, but it also lets you share with your family and friends to have some kind of um, connection. Uh, con- connection, but also accountability. Oh, gotcha. Um, so that they can see, like, oh, you're using your phone too much. Stop it. Um, that one's cool. There's mute, which motivates you to use your phone less. So, like we were talking about earlier, how when you have a like or you get a text message, you have that dopamine release. Um, mute actually uses that to retrain your brain so that you don't need your phone as much. So hmm. it'll give you a notification, say, "Good job, you haven't used your phone in two and a half hours," um, and it kind of gives you that release so that you stop using it more. And I think it actually shuts off when you use your phone too much. Like oh, it shuts really? your phone off. I think. I could be wrong. Somebody told me that. Um, the last one is moment. And this is the same kind of thing as space, but it monitors how much you use, but you can also use it for um, your family and you can connect with them. Um, there's other things that you already have on your phone, setting an alarm clock, charging your phone somewhere else, like you said, Matt. Yeah. Um, turning your phone off. I didn't even think about that one. <laughs> That's not an option. Or I mean, having buying an actual alarm clock and yes. not using your phone's alarm. Yes. So your phone can charge somewhere else and you're not you know, constantly looking at it before you go to bed and when you wake up. Because that really has bad effect on your eyes and that affects your brain mm-hmm. and how awake you are, how your body is naturally designed to wake up and go to sleep. 
um, and it can really affect your sleep patterns mm-hmm. and um, your the way that in which you feel exhausted throughout the day. Yeah. A lot of that, has, a lot of the ways we feel mentally exhausted, doesn't have to do with the amount of information we process. It has to do with eye strain. And the fact that we're looking at a computer, looking at a phone screen all the time, and it can just tire our eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times we just like, okay, my body's not tired, but I feel like my mind is because I've been mm-hmm. consuming so much and we don't realize it's from our eyes and yeah. this kind of glow that screens have. So there are different like filters you can apply to your screen, obviously, too, like night mode. You can use night mode all throughout the day, adjust the brightness of your devices um, to make sure that that, because even colors, certain bright colors have dopamine release effects in the brain. And so just realizing that, because part of our, like... Turning your phone black and white. Yes, yeah, the black and white challenge. You can do that in your settings. Um, That affects that dopamine release. I haven't done that in a while, actually. I did it for all of Lent last year and for a while longer, and then I had to turn it back for something, and I forgot to to return it back. I just realized it's been like six months, and I was like, oh, I didn't turn it back for some reason. So... Um, yeah, not a huge, it takes a second to adjust, but it's not that big of an adjustment. And I realized almost immediately within like 24 hours that I used my phone so much less because even those notification numbers, I have like a paranoia about those. Yeah. I think I've shared this before. Like I have whatever it would be called. Matt has almost chucked my phone across the Yeah, because you have so many this. red numbers on your phone. It gives me like anxiety. <laughs> but that's because red is the first color our eye sees. It's just something that is a part of the light spectrum that has the effect on our eyes that way. And it's part of our human survival instinct that we notice something like blood or like mm. meat as like a hunter type of species. Um, we notice that first as a survival instinct. That's why fast food signs are all red and yellow. Those are the first two colors we recognize. And they're colors you should never paint your kitchen because they'll always make you hungry for that reason. Um, My mom did that. Yeah. So... But for that reason, if you turn your phone black and white, you can't, those colors don't have that effect on you anymore. And so even if you have a ton of notifications, and even if you have like a phobia about them being on your phone like I do, I noticed them so much like less often. And I had such a better time with just letting them sit there on Mm -hmm. my phone than I do normally. And so that's just something to be aware of. Also, if you have difficulty with using internet for or media for bad things, like to access pornography or anything that might be addictive or inappropriate, we've talked about these before, but like Covenant Eyes, uh, Clear Play on Amazon, Clean Router, where you can control when your Wi-Fi is accessible and exactly what type of content is allowed to be accessed on your whole Wi-Fi network. Um, and apps like Victory, which was designed for pornography, but it can be used for any type of addictive behavior where you can program in accountability, how successful were you today, when did you go to confession last, and it charts your victories, your good things, kind of like that Mute app does. Um, so those are all different you know, ways that you can, we can help you or you can help yourself withdraw. And even just restricting the downloading of apps on your phone, you can set a restriction password that someone else, someone that you trust, can set on your phone. And anytime you would need to download an app, you would need that password from them. And they would put it in themselves or they would then change it after. Uh, and so that's a way that you can kind of keep yourself. If you're like, I, this game, I play this game hours upon hours every day, Gosh. delete it, restrict the downloading of new apps, and then let someone else program that password. And you won't, you're, you will not be able to download that game until that person lets you. Farmville. Watch out, people. (laughs) So um, just be aware of those different things that you can do. So that's withdraw. And that's, you know, there's a lot of avenues to withdraw. The next two are kind of easier and shorter to explain um, because we've gotten into, like, the whole why of of media and, you know, how it might be detrimental. Um, So 
conforming. Why? Uh, this seems like the the approach that's like the least appealing, and I might agree with that. But there are benefits to being involved in media and like diving into it a little more. Um, but conforming can kind of imply that we are going with the way of the world when it comes to media, and that's something that we don't want to do. That's how it can be detrimental. Um, Pope Francis said the internet, in particular, offers immense possibilities for encounter and solidarity. This is something truly good, a gift from God. So while we don't want to necessarily conform to um, consuming so much media, it is a good outlet and use for us to evangelize and be present when we need so many more Catholics um, out on social media speaking truth and calling things out. I had a great college professor um, who was a member of Opus Dei and who's a, um, a professed celibate Catholic man one of the coolest people I've ever met in my life. And he would always say, like, because he knew I was in ministry and I was studying composition and he was like, you know, it's great that you do ministry. But he, w- he would say things all the time, like, we need good, holy Catholic professors and composers and artists and lawyers and doctors. We need people out in the world living their faith outside of the four walls of the church. Mm-hmm. And so, like, he encouraged me, like, if you're going to stay in ministry, like, find other ways you can be involved and engaged in society and be an active, faithful Catholic in those places. Whether it's like a, a intramural sports league, or um, at a gym, or a social club, or something like that, bringing that Catholicism into that place. That's the benefit of this conforming approach, is that um, we need good Catholic like media designers, and yeah. graphic designers, and like we are a church that, um, you know, we should have a patron saint of clip art at this point, because it's like, that's... Jeez, if you've ever seen like any church bulletin, for the most part... Or website, it is just sad how most of our design efforts have been in the last 50 years with the advent of technology. Like, there's, and you look at Protestant churches and they have that down to a T. Like, that's something that is in their mind is like, we need to market this because if we believe we have the greatest thing possible for someone to experience, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ, we need to show that in everything that we put out. Anything we put out has to communicate that there is something great that we are willing to invest time, money, and resources and energy in. But if you say, like, here's a bread and wine clip art. Come join us at Mass in the Eucharist. It's like, that looks exciting to 0% of people, you know? So we need people who are strong Catholics out in the media world, out in the technology world, out in the design world, especially as technology continues to progress there have been and will continue to be a lot of ethical dilemmas that are associated with some of these technologies especially as they affect like how we interact with each other artificial intelligence cloning a lot of those different things they all have ethical implications and if we don't have strong catholic people practicing their faith in those different areas of research and expertise no one is going to be an adequate voice to argue for the dignity of the human person or why this could be bad. Um, And so we're always going to be playing catch-up otherwise. And so that's the benefit of conforming. The downside of conforming is that we can compromise what we stand for to try and be relatable and appealing. And that's what a lot of churches who dive into media can risk doing. Um, You can get a watered-down sense of Christianity or Catholicism. Um, It can become... And then it can become a temptation or an addiction if that's something that you're doing. And so... You know, things like pop Christianity, um, you know, I've heard of um, a yoga mass somewhere out there, Um, like things like that. And, you know, I don't know if it's like a a Catholic church where this happened or, um, 
something like that, but or an off, you know, some a church oh, that was shit. in schism but still called themselves Catholic. I don't really know. But things like that, like those aren't ways that we need to be conforming to the ways of the world. Like it shouldn't enter the way in which we are reverent and worship. Um, it's just the means in which we interact with the world and other people. Right. So if withdraw is saying the church needs to reject the times, conform would say the church needs to get with the times. Mm-hmm. Um, and which so, so many people say. Yeah. Which is, there's truth to that in some sense, like the whole clip art thing and right. like being relevant and being right. relatable and marketing. And that's the benefit of using technology in this way. Um, but we can't conform too much. We can't conform the core of who we are as Catholics and what we believe. Um, but we can conform to maybe the ways in which the world communicates to communicate that greatest message, that yeah. greatest story of all time, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ and his dying for our sins. And, we, you know. Yeah, we can't compromise our truth. We yeah. can't compromise the truth, but we can adapt, like you said. We can dress and, it in different and, clothing. Yeah, and, and try and find new ways to say it. Yeah. The same truth, new ways to say it, new ways to present it. Yeah. Um, through cool new videography or yeah. cool ways on Instagram or whatever it is. Yeah. But do not compromise truth yeah. just to try and appease and please people. Yeah. I mean, in a world that's all about design and filtering and fashion and, you know, all these different things, like... As a church, traditionally, I think we've been like, let's just present the truth naked as it is, you know, unclothed. Like if people knew the truth, they would see it for what it is and they'd love it. And that's a good approach for people who are on that intellectual journey. But it's not for a culture that is really beauty obsessed. And so we need to make that truth clothed in beauty again in a way that not appeals to say that we're like downgrading it, but in a way that taps into that visual stimulation of beauty that our culture really is programmed to have. Yeah. And so, um, like I said, dressing the truth in new clothes, not to make it um, anything less of what it is, but to show the reverence, respect, and dignity that we should have for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same reason we talk about things like modesty. You know, we don't, it's not, you're not being modest because we want to hide the body. We want to be modest because we want to glorify the body yeah. and show that it deserves dignity and reverence, you know. So it's the same thing with truth. Um, and then the last approach is seek to change. And so um, we can use, in this approach, media as a tool, as an outlet um, for evangelization, for solidarity, to help promote and evangelize and bring people to Jesus. Um, that's something. This is saying, like, the times need to get with the church. Um, so instead yeah. of... The church needs to reject the times, which is withdraw, or the church needs to get with the times, which is conform. Seek to change says the times need to get with the church. And so recognizing that like there's value in the church and we can use and engage with the people of today to try and bring them in whatever avenues that they would most you know, be appealed to or recognize, how do we bring them into the fold um, and seek to change their idea of what church is by using media um, mm-hmm. to do that. The only way, yeah, using media and the only way that people are going to discover what the truth or what the church is about is if we go outside of our walls. Yeah. Because I think that's something that has been um, a common thread in our church lately is that we are just stuck here and we take care of our own. Mm-hmm. We're not really going out as much as we should. Um, I know for myself and my ministry, that's something that we're pushing this year is really going out and being present to people on campuses and other places. Um, And if we're going out in social media, like we've been talking about, and we are present, we can show this is the church, this is the beauty, especially with the scandals that have been going on. Um, This is the Eucharist, this is Christ, I'm not leaving because I know who he is. 
how beautiful of an approach it would have been in responding to the scandals and why we want to stay Catholic if every Catholic just typed up their testimony and posted it on their Facebook mm, wall. Yeah. You know, like, this is how I was before I encountered God, and this is what God did in my life, and this is why I'm Catholic and continue to be. And these scandals are not what it means to be Catholic or why I identify as a Catholic. You know yeah. what I mean? This is That's not who we are. Um, how cool that would have been, yeah. you know? And how you still have the opportunity to do that. It's still in the media right now. Um, to be able to just, like, research, how do I give, you know, basic testimony? Um, and to just share that with people. Like, that's a way that we can do this. That's the way we can use media as a way to seek to change. If people have misconceptions about the church, about how faith and science can interact, or about who the historical person of Jesus was, or how God could... Um, allow suffering, these big questions that people have, yeah. um, you know, who issues of identity, you know, and having that identity rooted in being a child of God versus something else of this world. All of those are big things that our culture continues to struggle with. And if we could use media to change those perceptions of how the church approaches those issues and what they think they may already know the answer to, you know, like, oh, I, it's a church that's been around for a long, long time. They probably have this antiquated approach that's not going to be relevant to what I'm looking for. Um, that's normally the misconceptions I encounter with teenagers. And they're often very shocked and pleasantly surprised when 100% of the time I show them that that's not the case. Yeah. Um, and so using media as an avenue to be able to communicate that. You know, the good side of this is like, we're, this is the having the heart of an evangelist. Like you're going out and you are doing like in the mission of St. Paul and in the great commission of Jesus, like going out, teaching what um, Jesus has, has taught, baptizing. Obviously we're not the ones doing the baptizing, but you know, baptizing with knowledge <laughs> is what yeah. we're doing. But the bad side of this is we can treat, um, tend to treat people like, um, like projects. Or we can treat like every encounter that we have, like I'm bringing Jesus to you. I'm seeking to change you. Yeah. Um, and so to recognize this is also we're seeking to be changed in these conversations. We're mm. using media to seek for ourselves to be changed. Every interaction, we've talked about this before, is not about bringing Jesus into the interaction. It's about encountering Jesus already present in the interaction and in the other person. Right. That's the main difference. And so seek to change puts that at the forefront of our mind and says like, okay, how can I bring about transformation and encounter Jesus in this place that is not really associated typically with church or Jesus or faith. It's something very much of the world. How can I use that as a tool or an open door to be able to encounter this person? So, yeah. those are the approaches. <laughs> Sorry. Withdraw, conform, <laughs> seek to change. Um, and so... Pray about what, you know, and God may be calling you to do different ones in different avenues of your life and the different ways you consume media. Maybe you need to completely withdraw from Instagram because you have a really unhealthy obsession with it and the things you follow. But maybe you need to conform a little bit more to Facebook and the things that you post and the articles you share about being Catholic or sharing your testimony. And maybe you need to seek to change a little more in the conversations you have about your faith mm -hmm. or in your relationship with your family or something like that. These are all things that could change on a daily basis or depending on what type of media um, you're consuming, or even any other situation besides media. I hope you'll have these three things in the back of your mind. Anytime you encounter a new situation, um, anytime you encounter a new relationship, anything that you feel like um, there's being tension being caused between your faith and whatever this person or thing is, you can look at these three approaches and kind of pray and discern which one of these would be most appropriate and would help me most encounter Jesus in this or bring him into it.
Um, and so, um, a quick saint that I want to share. Um, there is a patron saint of the internet. I love it. Not of, of clip art? Not of clip art. Okay. The patron, sa- the patron saint of clip art is St. Bob Ross. Um, no, I don't know. Saint There's not one. Um, but the patron saint of the internet is St. Isidore of Seville. And what's interesting is he lived in the 600s. So, I don't know if you know this, but the internet was not around then. So, it was not invented until later. Much, much later. So, his feast is on April 4th. Um, and he was named this because uh, this kind of patronage officially by some people in the Vatican or by people who follow him because of stuff that he did in his life. Um, he came from a very holy family. In fact, two of his brothers and one of his sisters are all revered as saints, particularly in Spain, um, where he's from. And so, um, but his older brother growing up was very hard on him in his studies. He really wanted him to be focused on education. Um, and so, one day, St. Isidore, after all of these like brutalities his older brother was kind of putting up upon him, he ran away. Um, and he finally, when he finally let the outside world catch his attention, he was sitting down on a rock and he noticed water dripping on this rock. And he kind of saw it that like this small amount of force eventually was going to wear away at the hardness of this rock. And he saw that just as an indication of not only how to enter back into a relationship with his brother and be faithful in small things, but also in his approach to education and consuming things of the world and like learning was like little by little, little by little will wear away at this big thing that is, you know, education or my relationship with my brother or whatever it might be. Um, And so he realized if he kept working at his studies, small efforts, small choices, small decisions would eventually pay off. And lead to great learning. And so, um, you know, if that's something that you're you you're looking at this mountain of media that you might be consuming, make one small change today, you know, or this week, and and eventually a lot of small changes will lead to a big difference in your life. Um, so when Saint Isidore returned home, his brother didn't believe he wouldn't run away again, so he locked him in a cell. And so they had a really strange relationship, but eventually they worked side by side. Um, so there was some reconciliation there, um, and. Isidore completed uh, a lot of projects that his brother started, um, which one of which was creating a missile and a, brev- a breviary, which are like the, the books that help with um, guide the readings of the mass and the prayers of the Liturgy of the Hours for every day. Um, and so he really dove into his education and he was all about consuming knowledge, not just within the church, but he liked starting like arts and medicine and advocated for those things to be taught even in seminaries. And he ended up writing an ed- uh an encyclopedia of knowledge. So not like the Summa Theologica, like St. Thomas Aquinas, who wrote like the sum of all theology. Mm-hmm. This was like the sum of everything. And it's called the Etymologies. And it was it was a, a popular textbook for learning for 900 years. Oh my gosh. So wow. like this was like the source for a lot of wow. people. Um, and so he wrote, he wrote books on grammar, astronomy, geography, history, biography, and theology. Um, and when... The Arabic world, who had held on to a lot of Greek philosophy, brought it to Spain. Um, they f- um, they found that a lot of it had already been introduced there, and it was easy to introduce in Isidore's community because he was already had this grasp of, of knowledge um, and this desire and hunger for it. Um, so he was a bishop for 37 years, um, and he started advocating for the representative model of government in Europe, which I think is like the forefather of democracy. And so like in the year 600, you know, like it's pretty awesome. Um, and 
he rejected kind of the tyrannies that he saw, and a lot of people think that's because his brother was kind of the tyrant toward him. Um, but he ended up, he would um, convert barbarians um, from Arianism to Christianity. Like, he was just out there, like, spitting knowledge on people and trying to convert them and bring them to Jesus. And he lived until he was almost 80 years old. Um, and one of his last final acts was to give everything that he owned to the poor. Uh, and so when he died, um, he eventually became a doctor of the church. Um, and this kind of desire for learning um, just kind of rippled into all of the people who knew him in Spain. Um, and a lot of times when people talk about like the Dark Ages of Europe, that didn't really happen in Spain because of the efforts of St. Isidore and pursuing knowledge and keeping that alive and well um, in the communities that he served. Uh, and so it's interesting because you never really hear about this saint, and yet he did so much that had this effect for hundreds of years after yeah. he lived. Um, but he never obviously surfed the web or the internet. And so that um, the people who supported him, they pointed out that this 30-volume encyclopedia that he wrote, the etymologies um, of all knowledge that was then known, um, that was pretty much like the dot-com of yeah. the time. And so he should be... That should be regarded as the world's first database, and he should be regarded as a patron yeah. saint of the, the internet and media. So, um, you know, if you're really struggling with this, um, ask for St. Isidore to pray for you for his intercession, because his life was all about consuming the right type of knowledge and allowing it to build up and bring beauty to the world and to his life and have a hunger for things that are, are greater, instead of being kind of satisfied with the, the shallow level of consumption that most media offers us. Mm -hmm. So... St. Isidore, pray for us. Pray for us. And St. Charles Borromeo, our patron saint, pray for pray us. Pray for us. Thank you for listening. Please share this episode with anyone you think might benefit from it. Uh, rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to it. And remember, you can become a supporter of our podcast and have exclusive access to behind-the-scenes content and week-before previews of our upcoming episodes so you can put your input and ask your questions that we will address specifically on the episode. Um, nice. And that's just for as little as a dollar a month on Patreon. So you can visit our website, manafoodforthought.com, and you can email us there. Our blogs, our vlogs, all of our podcasts are hosted there, and we hope they're a benefit to you. Um, follow us on social media, and um, yeah, help, help us know how we can best serve you, what you'd like to have episodes on. Uh, now that our series are ended, um, we're going through that list of a lot of the suggestions that we have, and we're excited to hear more of what you want to hear. So until next time, we will see you in the Eucharist. Bye. Bye.